Hello and welcome to So Bad It's Good, the podcast that doesn't care what any of those 12 angry men say, that guy definitely did it. As might be coming across already, we only look at the best of the worst on this show. I'm Ashley and this episode we're digging into some of the most laughable horror films ever made. And as always, along by my side for this Fright Fest is So Bad It's Good co-host and all-round best mate, Max. Before we get into our screen queens and our legions of the undead, I want to ask a simple question. Good week? Yeah, no, it's been it's been really good. It's been really good. I ended up, I think lockdown's getting to me and I'm running low on um, just just like background TV to watch. Like I'm always up for watching a, a good movie or, or, or something. And I just started watching, I'm only halfway through, but I started watching Midsummer. Mm. Absolutely love it. She's uh, amazing in that. What's her name? Florence really, Pugh or something. So what an actress. I'm just really, and the acting on it is some of the most convincing human acting I think I've ever seen. I, I, the clinginess, you mean? Yeah, but that, that fragility, it's like a, a, a strong wind could just shatter her, you know, and, that, and there's something about that that I just found really, like, compelling and also really tragic about her character. So, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to finishing watching that. What about you? Uh, nothing much, yeah. Gradually becoming more bored and resigned to... To, to not fill in things with interesting time. Got a leaflet through the door uh, it was a few nights ago. The close behind us are doing a Motown night. I thought that's taking the piss. I mean, I, I get restrictions are lifted and all the things like that, but sort of a guerrilla music festival of of sort of like... What do they call them? Not lookalikes. What do, what do, they, what do they call them when you pretend? Tribute acts. Tribute, tribute acts. So all, all I think was, yeah, like Motown 60s and whatever, tribute acts. Thought, no. So we're three episodes in, and unless you knew or you're just that bloke from Memento, Max and I are using some spare time during lockdown to catch up on our favourite shite films. And in some ways, arguably, there's no genre that sparks ridicule quite like a horror film that's out of key. The come down from rigid fear to belly laugh is extreme, and that's how we react to them. From Nosferatu through to Unfriended, horror is supposed to show the terrifying and the forbidden. What's more, we don't just love all the ghoulish stock characters, you know, all the slasher villains and the werewolves and the uh, gothic baddies. We're actually drawn to the feel and the approach of the films. Everyone likes the stalking cameras, a low lighting, creepily repetitive soundtracks and the edgy set pieces that make horror what it is. But at the end of the day, this is just a gothic ideal and it doesn't always work out. And when it doesn't, in we step. So I can't wait to get into detail. I think it's no, uh, make no secret over as, as, as long as you've known me that it's on my favorite mm -hmm. movie genres. It's in a teenage addiction that's just never gone away. It increases with time uh, and I'm really looking forward to this. But before we get to that, I'm going to mute the volume, check the kiddies are safe asleep upstairs, and cower behind our casting couch. Casting couch. Casting couch. Casting couch. <laughs> uh, so this is how we kick off the show, if you're up to speed with us. Uh, we'd like to kick it off with a challenge. It's where we select a random made-up movie title from stuff that we've come up with beforehand. Uh, and once we've plucked one out, we've got till the end of this episode to work on a full pitch. The soundtrack, the, the characters, the headliners, um, the marketing materials, whatever it is, we've got to cook up an entire movie for the rest of the show. Hopefully you'll enjoy. 
So Max, I believe, has prepared his lucky batch of titles. It's in a, it's in it like a, a pencil pot? Yeah, yeah, it's an upgrade from your empty, like, car <laughs> shell. Um, yeah, with a beer empty mat. plastic car and beer mat. So yeah, so I'm gonna go in here. Okay, it's like in. a lightsaber hilt. Yes, <laughs> I rejected the lightsaber hilt. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Ooh, what is it? Gut punch six colon the highway. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a that is a good colon. That actually, it's not what you. Yeah, okay. Um, what what is brewing from that immediate? What's the gut punch? The gut punch. See, I'm I'm I, the first thing that springs to mind about this title is that it's a uh, one of those stranded um, stranded like uh, tourist type horrors. Um, so I'm not necessarily thinking about the hostels, but like Wolf Creek. Will will you be working on the other five prequels at the same time? I feel we need to, uh, yeah, yeah, to make yeah. it a genuine sequel. Uh, yeah. But but as I think as I think we'll go into, I think one of the elements of, of of a kind of so bad it's good horror movie is that sometimes the sequels and subsequent remakes and whatever like, literally have no connection to the previous mm, movies. True. Or <laughs> yeah. Such a tangential one that it just means nothing. Okay, so horror flicks. Well, they come with this treasure trove of cliches that's so well worn that the self-make take, the meta piss take in comedy, uh, in horror is practically its own genre. So what we've hit on to try and get stuff, all of these big ideas, all of these cliches of horror films is to play it almost like a drinking game. So what are the telltale signs of horror? What are the big letdowns and cliches? And we're going to do it by drinks. So, Max, do you want to try and get the first round in and kick us off? Definitely. I think before I start, I think the first thing when I was thinking about this, and unlike the other, the other kind of uh, genres we've spoken about, is that one of the elements about looking at like the overused, uh, you know, themes that are in this genre is 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 quite well established. Like, you know, I I, I think when I was thinking about my ones and putting some notes down, I didn't want it to be like me repeating what's the, the first first screen movie. Mm. You know, I wanted I wanted to feel like we're putting in things that you'd find in other horror movies that are not just slashers, that are not just like the 80s throwbacks, because mm -hmm. in some ways they have their own charm, like those have their own mm -hmm. kind of appeal. Um, I'm trying to think of ones that genuinely, like, regardless of the type of horror it is, will just stop that thing dead um, and make you make you kind of get a bit tired of it. First one that sprung to mind, um, and I'd say that, you know, if you, if you spot this, you've got to take a, a, a cold shot of Midori. <laughs> Good melon flavored drink. Good melon flavored drink, your favorite. Um, yeah. And uh, and I say I'm calling it the bait and switch. Um, I think this is so overused in a horror movie now that it's just it, it takes away any tension. And it's the you know they're walking down a dark, they're hearing something behind a door, and they open it and it's empty. And then nothing happens. And then two minutes later, there's a jump scare. Like I yes. think fundamentally regardless of what horror movie you're doing that's just that's just something that is so tired and worn that you just uh, it's it becomes just laughable because you just know exactly that they're playing it and it becomes to a point where you actually can tell when it's going to be a bait and switch and when it's actually going to be a jump scare because it's play overplayed so much that you can just know 
that this isn't going to be a jump scale on this occasion. It's just going to be they open a closet and there's like, you know, a, a teddy bear there. So, yeah, usually open and wardrobes and closets are quite a big thing. I think we were obviously thinking of uh, furniture, both, because I also had an idea that, you know, take a, a quick lukewarm swill of beer if a character in a horror film, say, is running from the bad guy, right, mm -hmm. hides in a wardrobe, the guy will maybe, maybe... Uh, it could be a gothic character, a Count Dracula-esque person, or it could just be a classic Michael Myers, mindless villainy. But he comes he comes into the wardrobe, he, he opens it, looks practically as though analysing what, you know, like picking out an item of clothing, looks, doesn't mm. see the person, uh, and, and they're breathing, thinking, like usually really heavily, breathing, like don't see, don't be seeing me. He walks out, the wardrobe's closed, they're like, oh, coast is clear. Next minute, knife comes through the yes. wardrobe. Yes, yes, hundred percent. That does happen. That does happen all the time. Or it could be maybe, maybe a wardrobe, maybe a pantry. Yes. So they're hiding in there. Someone comes in. They'll look for something. They'll shuffle something. They'll knock something aside. Within seconds of being caught, they leave and they think, right, okay, uh, covers. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm undercover. Next minute, they slash back. I think there's also something to add to that about walking containment rooms which is a very very specific thing mm. but i think you find them at all there's always a, a who has a pantry mm. like who actually has like a giant walk-in pantry that you could physically hide in like a yeah. you know 20 something walk-in like, wardrobes as well quite american really maybe quite american but even so like the walk-in wardrobes like at least in something like halloween you've got you've got her like cowering yeah and the wardrobe is literally just a door but like in other ones where the wardrobe is like this huge it's like you're going to go halfway to narnia before <laughs> yeah. um and, and it's the same with like uh with like in walk-in freezers that's a that's a classic uh yes. location with the meat hooks i mean that that's just yeah it's a given now isn't it that yeah have that encounter um so yeah no i would say that the uh that i would say that there's a there's something about internal space that is just so weird, like unrealistic. It just, it's mm -hmm. just so... Yeah. And you just called it the, the bait and switch. The bait and switch, yeah. After... Why, why have you called it that? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a common phrase. It's like, you know, you, you're baiting oh, something. Oh, I didn't know. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, yeah it's, I think... I, I can't remember what it's, where, where I've heard it from, but I think you, it's, you hear in a lot of American movies they're talking about, oh, the, bait, the old bait and switch. It's like, you think something's going to happen and they switch it out at, switch out and like, right. like change tracks um I, it, it, genuinely i thought you were making some sort of uh, honestly thought you were referencing you know that bird from love is blind <laughs> what jessica Isn't name? jessica batten Jess, jessica Bay. i thought you were like sneakily <laughs> coining a new term and were waiting for me to ask like oh, was that a reference to that really flaky gobshite off love is blind I thought that was you were waiting for me to clap. No, I honestly didn't know. So it's like a I'm trying to think of other like, like a MacGuffin. You know, it's it's one of those film industry uh, phrases. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's actually known as. Um, I think actually I've just I've just got Google up on this to actually. So it's a it's it's an advertise. It's actually I think originated in advertising in which um, an apparent bargain with the intention of substituting an inferior or more expensive goods. But yeah, I, that's that. That's what I would use it. So that would be my first. That would be my first one. That um, 
I only say this this one is, is another one that I feel is worth putting in. And it's only because on Shudder I watched this really good documentary on um horror noir, it was called. And it was about how I did see that, but I yeah, I didn't watch it. It was really interesting we're talking about like how black Americans had been portrayed yeah. within horror cinema. Um and I think they, they identified ones like you've got classic ones within the slashers, like the guy who sacrifices himself or the first one to die. Like those are classic and, and dated nowadays, especially with stuff like Get Out. I think one though that you mm. still have, and even Get Out does this a bit. Um, but I love Get Out, so it's fine. But like the 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 guy doesn't always have to be an African American, it can just be any it could be anyone. Um, someone who's like addresses the fact that they're in a really scary situation and then just continues going in anyway. He's like, you know, <laughs> like, like, oh no, I'm not doing this. Like, this is how everyone dies. And then it's like, I'm, just, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna go into this, I'm gonna go into the abandoned amusement <laughs> park. Why not? Like, you know, it's 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 like, well, if you're so self-aware of the fact that you're in a horror movie at this point, like, why are you still going along with it? I'd say if you see that, you need to have a, a sip of a of a nice Chianti. Oh, nice. Some fava beans, perhaps. No, it's too classy for these types of horror movies. No, just just a, a cheap sort of knockoff Chianti. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's right. A lot of people will announce. Uh, it's true of horror films in general. They have these like signals and signifiers that like supposed to literally poke the eye of the mm. the movie watcher and say, "Look, uh, this is scary." Yes, yeah, someone will say, "This this is awful," but then just stumble into the hall of mirrors anyway. Yeah, um, which is always stupid. I'm trying to think. How about um, take a few, take a few cherry sours for <laughs> cactus jacks or uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cactus jacks. Yeah, I've got a running joke with a mate actually. I buy that for her birthday every year. Um, she got once got uh, rather leery of it once. Um, I want to call a little it... bit drunk. <laughs> <laughs> El cactus did flow. <laughs> the what I call the what made conversation. Yeah. So at some point, right, you'll have um, usually, and I would like to talk about these more in a second. You'll have babysitters, right, come in. Okay. And they'll be there maybe at some point in mid morning. Like a maid will come in. They'll have some sort of vaguely like shadowy, sinister small talk. But nothing, nothing too concerning. The maid will go. The babysitter will call up the mum and dad of the kid. They'll be like, "Oh yeah, fine. Is he eating? Yeah, is he sleeping? Yeah, yeah, yeah." And she'll be like, "Oh, uh, spoke to the maid this morning." And the mum will go, "What maid?" You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was drinking water with that new spat. Or she'll say, uh, or you ring up and say, "Oh, that the the, the guy who waters the plants is really nice. We don't have a gardener." Like there'll, there'll be that moment where what you've seen is, and obviously, therefore, the gardener, the maid, the yeah. whatever. It's the, the call is coming from inside the house. Trope, yeah, exactly. Say. Or we, yeah, there's this sort of imposter, shadowy imposter that you've fallen for and you shouldn't have done. So that that's quite a, that, the, the what made sort of thing. minor point really so this is probably a glass of tap water in all honesty but taxidermy never a good sign in horror films it's never a <laughs> no, i would say that is that is a, a premium 
Japanese whiskey that you're drinking with that because that oh, is. Do a... you think so? See, I, I, I just thought never, never. It's not because he's into like rare North American birds or or di- it, it's it's a sign that this guy has murderous instincts. It's it's not just a Sunday painter's thing. No, see, I think it's I think it's a bit like a Chekhov's gun. In, uh, in in horror movies, actually. It's like, if you see a taxidermied something, guaranteed that is going to kill someone. If you see a taxidermied moose on the wall, that person's going to get impaled or hung on that. Like, it's going to be that sense of... As of literally life. happens in one of my newly favourite horror films, <laughs> Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2. That literally happens. Oh, no, exactly. But it happens in... It happens in literally... But it, like, yeah. It's, it's just everywhere. And I think there's, there's always like weird hobbies. That's, that's the point actually you mentioned. It's mm. like, yeah, like it's not just, it's like, oh, someone is like, I'm not saying bird watching is a weird hobby, but it's always like a, a kind of isolationist hobby. Mm. Yeah. That's a socialist thing. Yeah. Um, which I think kind of makes the, uh, like trying to make it scary. Like these people are not like us. They have a weird, weird kind of thing. I do sometimes wonder, like, have there ever been any horror movies where the killer's like a train spotter or something? <laughs> just... it's just it, it, other weird hobbies uh see I don't, I don't really want to offend anyone as such <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i know i know what you mean but i don't think it's like an offensive thing i think people who collect like... celebrity hair yeah and that's weird i don't even know anyone who collect... i don't know no, no yeah there was a, i remember oh, years ago this guy on this morning and he had like a lock of elvis's hair stuff like that still and it, it, it not gray either it's still like as it was. Wow. That's weird. I mean, he had a full full collection of hair of hair clippings. If you had to be that guy, what what hair which which person which celebrity's hair would you actually actually like cut? Uh oh do, do uh, I I'd go I I'd treat it like a, a commodity. I'd treat it like a, a sort of banker. I'd go for someone's hair who didn't have any. So it was like a rare thing. <laughs> yeah. I'd treat it like some sort of like the, the what I imagine. <laughs> The black diamond trade is like where you just go. I'd go like, who's losing this there? Like Willis, maybe Cage is thinning on top. So I'd bag that and you know watch the pro- yeah. But that, that's what I mean. Like get Patrick Stewart's hair because when has he ever had hair? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or uh, or what's his name? Get the uh, get get Kojak's. Or it, Kojak's that that would be like that's like the what made conversation, isn't it? You know, someone goes. Oh, uh, he opens his birthday present. This guy collects hair, and it, and he's opening it up, and someone goes, "I got you a lock of Patrick Stewart's hair." And he's like, "Patrick Stewart's never had hair. <laughs> it must be Actually, his ass hair. <laughs> his back, his hairy back, which is fairly well conceived in in casual clothing." Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the. Um, I was going to say the one that another thing that you, you mentioned when we talk about hobbies and stuff, it's like there's either a door or a drawer or some or a little cupboard that like they can't get in. And like the big revelation happens when they unlock the door. Oh, yeah, very good. And, you know, and then they and, and also there's that sense of and also it's, it's usually matched with like 
transition from something pleasant to something nice so it's like she's going through the photo album oh look the family's there and oh look like she, he's with the kids and oh look he's teaching the kid how to fish and oh my god the wife's got no head and then like <laughs> it starts to get darker and darker yeah. actually that's a really good one photo albums are never a sign of like a happy family gathering they're always like the photo um album i in fact one one i, I thought this was a brilliant scene in it chapter one where that the fat kid's yeah. in the library and he's going through all yeah. the old was it Derry the town photo albums and he mm. sees all of these you know one of these nestled right into the corner just just about disguised and there's these, these yeah like heads weird things that's sort of like it's it, it's that like Edgar Allan Poe thing isn't it like the, the horrors just it's always in plain sight <laughs> So we've boxed off our horror reference book of things to keep an eye out for. Uh, but what about some solid examples? Today we've got folk horror, I guess, so folk horror remake at least, and slasher dross. Um, but really good dross, uh, which comes first. So by the pricking of my thumbs, I think you can like this, something wicker this way comes. Oh God, that's bad. <laughs> Although I do God, like it. that's good. I think you know. that's good. God, that's good. Uh, in off the red. Um, <laughs> so go on, Max. You want to brief us in on the on our dose of cage? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think this is this is a a movie that has been like well regarded as 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 as, as pinnacle cage freakout. Um, and like before, I think we want to kind of give a bit of a brief overview of what the story is about. Um, I'll, I'm going to kind of lead on there, see what Ashley chip in on any thoughts you have as I'm going through. Sure. So, Wicker Man is a remake of a 1973 movie, uh, well-regarded English movie, um, and follows, I'd say, a fairly similar plot uh, to the original, um, at least in some of the broad strokes of it. Um, but I think the fact that you've got Nicolas Cage in it and the fact that it's set in the US doesn't do it any favours. Um, so Nicolas Cage pays Edward Malice, and uh, he's a uh, highway patrol cop. Uh, the opening of the movie, he's like going down the road and he's, you know, like doing his highway patrol thing. Uh, one of my favourite interactions is right at the beginning of the movie where he, uh, it's just like a little five second scene of just him stopping a car and he's like pulled up and he's gone up to the thing and he's like he's like walking away so he's obviously done his business there whatever interaction he's had to do with the driver it's fine and uh, it just gives you a sense of the writing that goes into this movie where they go where Nicholas Cage goes so do you know why I stopped you and the guy just goes yeah and that's it Nicholas Cage goes <laughs> off and gets <laughs> It's <laughs> just like excellent policing there, excellent policing cage. There's various examples of that weird non-dialogue that happens in this movie. But anyway, so he's on, he's doing his patrol thing. Um, he's driving behind this car and a, uh, a doll flies out the window. So he stops, gets the doll and, and pulls over the car. And the mum's like really sorry. And the, the car's like packed with a toot. Um, and there's a little girl in there with like a red jumper on. And she's like, um, she's she's quite petulant. She's like, you know, throwing the top, top doll out. But Nicolas Cage is like playing along with it and doesn't find it any issue. Um, he like, she throws the doll really far out the car. So Nicolas Cage goes across the road and picks up 
he's like doing this like three or four times at this point at this point you just be like no like i'm not going to do it but he does it because it's nicholas cage um and so he kind of picks up the doll and just as he picks up the doll a truck rams into this car car starts setting on fire the driver is passed out and the flames are covering the front of the car. There's no way they can do it. So he breaks down the back of the, in a very cage-like fashion, tries breaking down the back windscreen of the car. And the little girl's just sitting there like, yeah, this is, this is normal. Um, and like, he's like, yeah, I did not get this scene. I, I think, I mean, this was weird about it is that like, she's just sitting there. There's no panic and concern on her face. Um, and then he starts bashing he manages to break the back window because but he's like wrenching it apart with his like leather gloves and he's like hulking the hulk hulk hoganing the uh, <laughs> uh the windscreen uh free and then he's reaching out and he's like take my hand take my hand she's looking at him like what do you want me to do um and then the car explodes and then it like cuts to you know however many weeks later for some reason i don't know what he did but he got like a congressional medal of valor for this this interaction i think we're led to believe which again like you fail to save someone from a burning car i mean i understand the bravery in it but i just don't feel like it's it's particularly you know noteworthy maybe it was a slow day at uh, city hall um but yeah so he ends up uh kind of taking a break i guess from policing um he's haunted by it he's taking medication uh, another sterling example of the acting is that he has one of his female partners come around and she's like so and he's like that about sums it up and, and that's oh. that again again that, that, that it means absolutely nothing and has no context it's to it. so it's such a stilted well all-round stilted film really yeah but there's so many conversations that go nowhere it's one of those awkward he's just standing by the door and eventually he's forced to say do you want to come in yeah, yeah it's just it's also like nicholas cage and i think he's depressed in this role because for the majority of the movie he can't freak out anyway <laughs> he's like apparently they didn't find the bodies in the car um and he's obviously like a bit weirded out by that he's got all these like letters and like congratulations things from winning the medal and he's going through them and he finds a letter from his ex-fiance who's gone over to a, an island summer's isle i think it's called she's originally grown up there she left him um and she said that she has a daughter she shares a picture of the daughter um and she's like yeah my daughter's gone missing i don't trust anyone around here i need your help blah 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 so nicholas cage can't find anything out about this island um and they have no cell service so he ends up can i just say one thing that stuck in my mind at the time was the handwriting of this letter did you see that it was like calligraphy as hell wasn't it it was like... it was she was it was like a torn page from the doomsday book <laughs> it was it was it was all very hands and it's just a casual note and she's written this sort of like elvish script so a lot i mean that would give you i mean obviously again it's a visual clue for the fact that where the letter's coming from yeah is this weird uh, ancient sort of you know something it, it's it's a small clue that something's not right but it's just one of those that I, 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 it's, to this day like it, it, it's i watched it a few days ago and it sticks in my mind this one little weird scene yeah and it's just weird because so he ends up going to this island and this is another thing so there's this whole thing emphasis on the island that everyone's so private they live their private lives and that there's, there's this one like 
pilot who flies in, drops off supplies, who does it every day. And he makes this whole big speech to Nicolas Cage about how these people, like, you know, they just want their privacy, blah, blah, blah. And then Nicolas Cage is just like, he just basically, like, says in a really offhand way, or like, I'll give you some money if you fly me there. And this guy's made this quite impassioned speech, like he really respects these people on this island. And then he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, for 50 bucks, sure. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like there's no real, which is just strange again. Um, yeah, he does that thing where he goes, uh, <laughs> he says something like, could you take all three of us? Bearing in mind, it's just Cage and our fellow on the plank. And he goes, could you take all three of us? And he's like, what? And he just goes, me, Mr. Jackson, <laughs> and Mr. Gr whoever's on the there. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does, he does say that. And it's just like, anyway, so he, he said, because he doesn't want to get the pilot in trouble, he said dropped off further down the island. So he walks into the island town. And at this point, I'm like, like, who, who else are going to think that you've done like like it's not like you've, you've, you've posed this great mystery of like where did this man come from there's only one person who flies to this island and and you're here oh just because you came on a separate thing we have no idea um so yeah so there's he kind of goes in um and he meets like the weird townspeople there and they're all very strange and, and you know peculiar and then the men are like quite subservient and they're carrying this bag it's like sh shaking and dripping blood um, and first thing, first line of that is very quotable in this movie is, what's in the bag? A shark or something? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he goes into this, like, this bar, like, and at this point, like, no one knows he's come to the island at this point. And, like, they're just like, and he explains that he's here to see this woman called Willow, his ex-wife, blah, blah, blah. But the bar woman knows him, him there. Oh, you're that guy, that police officer from California that's come here. And you're like, how did that word get around so quickly there to you? But he, he passes that. Then she like pours him a pint of mead, um, which is probably what starts Nick turning into the Nick Cage that we know and love. Because mm. he literally downs this mead. And like he's, he meets this, during this in interaction, he meets like his wife and he's going to like, she's going to like, you know, saying, oh, I'm going to, go up to the bedroom or whatever um, and I need to have this conversation with you in private because she doesn't trust anyone and he's like yeah yeah sure and just keeps on downing this mead like proper gulping it as well like and then she's like he's watching her he's watching her go into this room and like wanting him to follow he's like mm-hmm mm-hmm mm -hmm, yep yep and then he like <laughs> that this is when it like literally changes on the movie it's like up until this point it's quite stilted and then Cage slams this tankard down on the on the bar top gets his like police badge in his wallet out and starts wrapping the tabletop and starts making this whole yeah. big like statement about how he's here and he's gonna have to speak to all of you and it's up until this point he's been very reserved very like held back and stuff but he's got to like he suddenly throws out the big guns um uh it's revealed also at this point that he is allergic to bees um, which will become extremely important later on in the plot. Very important. But also the thing about that also is that, like, if you're scared, like, even I'm not scared of bees and I'm not allergic to them. No, I would. But if a bee's flying in my room, I'm not going to be, like, whacking it down and, like, crushing it, which is what he does in the... In the oh, and that annoyed yeah. me so much. It's like, the bees are there. Oh, I'm going to crush I'm going to, like, swat mm. it and actually... No, you'd, like, you'd bat it away, maybe, or you might avoid it. But you're not going to be like, I'm going to kill that bee because that's a risk of me getting stung. And if you're allergic to it, which he's allergic to it in the movie. Anyway, Cage uh, starts investigating this uh, this girl's 
disappearance, finds out that um, she's uh, his daughter, which comes as like a, a massive blow to him. Um, he uh, he also doesn't twig that the girl in the girl his daughter in the photo that he has of her is wearing literally the exact same outfit as the little girl that was in the car that blew up at the beginning of the movie. Uh, yeah, I thought that was weird because they did, uh, like I say, I didn't understand the film. I didn't know whether those two events are connected, whether they're like. But they are. They are an escape escapees from the commune. No, 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 no. Oh. It's it's so at the end, and this is what really pissed me off about the movie. So at the end, he like is is like caught, and it's revealed that basically he's been lured to the island to be the sacrifice of the to the to the bee god or whatever. And it's it's like blink and you miss it moment. Like this should have been a big revelation in the thing. But there's this mm. bit where it's just like, oh, we've we've had this whole there's you know that, that we've had this whole thing orchestrated for so long, like we've had this so carefully planned out. Mm. Um, first of all, you've definitely not had that planned out. All those random events that happened, like you were in control of this situation. <laughs> yeah. But so that's yeah. that's fine. The other thing, though, is that he ends up like, so there's a literally blink and you miss it. All these people are dressed up in like different outfits um, and like three people standing next to one another lift up their masks. And it's like his female police officer friend, the mum who was in the car, the little girl who were in the car, it, the implication. And is it? literally you blink and you miss it. Yeah, yeah, literally. The policewoman as well, the, the, that weird one who he sort of invites around but never offers a drink uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right at the beginning. Yeah. I never, never noticed that. Probably the last 30 minutes of this movie are some of the best I've ever seen of Nicolas Cage's acting, um, where he uh, realised, a side note on this is also, is like he's like gone back thing, he's now going to try and find his daughter. He realises what's happening, so he goes down to the, the owner of this bar, and she's like really quite like... Um, you know, she's looking at him like, what are you going to do about it? And then he just decks her one. And like, <laughs> yeah, not even like, he just, he just properly welts her in the face and she goes down immediately. Mm. And then he's like, right, okay. And then he's, he's, he's still trying to come together with the things. Because I don't think he actually realised what he did there. <laughs> I think he was like, I just want to hit someone. But he doesn't know what the next step was. <laughs> so he's like, not, he's like faffing about in this pub. And then, um... And then this other barmaid jumps on his back and starts like attacking him. And then he like gives her a little jab in the face and she just doesn't go down. And so Nick's like, I'm going to bring out the big gun here. And literally like... Does he kick her? Look, he gives a roundhouse kick into her face. <laughs> yeah. And then she, and she like, she, she like literally like she hits against the wall. She goes down and then she has the weirdest pass out expression I've ever seen someone act. Yeah. Where like... Her eyes look like they're rolling into her head, but she's not closing her eyes and her mouth seems like open like she's trying to speak. And she just stays like that. And then when she passes out, her eyes are open. So I, I don't know what that was meant. Did he, did he kill her? Did he give her a seizure? Yeah. Um, I'm not too sure. Uh, so Nicolas Cage ends up, ends up putting on this bear costume. Does he punch more women along the <laughs> so, way? Yeah, he punches. Oh, he punches a teacher. No, so there's a so there's a point earlier on where he goes to the teacher and he pulls a gun on the teacher and just says to her like, "Get off the bike." Oh, but he doesn't punch. He her. doesn't punch her. No, he pulls a gun on. Her. Oh, wow. and then he but when he becomes a bear, he's like everyone. He's under disguise. He sees his his daughter like by a pyre, and so he thinks, "Oh, they're gonna burn my daughter." And uh, 
And so he just like goes for it. So he starts running, but it's, it's quite slow motion. It's like a chariots of fire. Like his, his body is like slowly slogging forward. And like one of the, the maids or whatever, who's like right by the pyre, she just goes, sister. And then Nicholas Cage just punches her one in the face. Again, this is probably the least appropriate punch <laughs> of a woman in this movie. Um, because the first one, okay, you're annoyed and she's obviously a villain. Second one, well, she's attacking you, so I can get that. The third one, she's completely unawares. She's quite like, petite and she doesn't really know what you're doing. So I think you could probably just like push her aside or, or like shove her down. I don't think you need to yeah. properly haymaker her in the face. <laughs> Why is he, is he entered like a sort of... <laughs> zombie shooting game version of life where he's just decking women and yeah. little points are coming up at the top of the screen like dump old sort of lesbian woman behind the bar seven Finish points <laughs> mild mannered geography teacher <laughs> it's points. also like and there's, there, are, there aren't people he, he... I just I just don't know what his plan was he... with I, I kind of feel Nicolas Cage insisted on he had to punch the women mm. because I just feel like yeah. it's also like it's the type of punches. They're like proper wallops to the face, like proper solid hits. Um, oh, the nasty punches. <laughs> just And then, but then this is the thing though. She So, so like he saves his daughter. You think he's going to get away. And then it turns out the daughter has like been part of this all the way along and he's now like going to be sacrificed. Um, and then you have like the two women he'd already previously punched in the pub, like take off masks. And that woman, he like, the, the, the barmaid, who he like walloped yeah. in the face, has got no bruises no whatsoever. Bruises. She's absolutely, it's just like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just like yeah. in this whole thing of like, you orchestrated this all. Did you orchestrate it so that Nicolas Cage would punch you, steal your costume, punch two other women yeah. on the way there, um, and, and also that you would wake up from being knocked out it would have enough time to get another costume walk all the way to this random ceremonial area just to do the big reveal that you're yeah. actually still around but yeah so then Nicolas Cage uh, is then tortured or gone, goes through some weird form of ceremonial torture where his legs are put over some wooden logs and broken Ooh, which is actually quite yeah. grim and quite like done quite well um, and mm. then he has the uh, the iconic, the legendary, if you will, helmet of bees. <laughs> <laughs> Where he, yeah, he has this like beehive put on his head. And then he's like, what's that? What's that? No, no, no. Not the bees. Not the bees. And they, they, they pour bees as if it's a liquid, as if they're liquid. Yeah, I didn't know bees poured with such fluidity. <laughs> so they, they, they all, and they all go over um, Nicolas Cage's face um, and he's getting stung. And, and that is quite comical because after all the bees, and the bees literally like, as soon as the helmet's off, they just go away. They just like, they just decide yeah. like, we're, we're, our job is done here. Um, and he's got these like welts all on his face <laughs> where he's been stung. <laughs> um, and then he's put into the Wicker Man and burnt alive. Um, but, it sounds horrendous, it is horrendous, um, but it is, it's especially the last 30 minutes are just insanely hilarious of just watching Nicolas Cage do yeah. him. It, the fever pitch at the end of that film, it really does 
ratchet up from uh, like him being this sort of depressed cop at the beginning to being this like madman lost in a world that he doesn't understand. He really got all I'll say is one, he came via air. So he's had some sort of aerial view of this island. And even if not, you know, the Wicker Man is huge. Mm. How's he? uh, At no point does he ask, you know, that big, uh, you know, that big wooden doll on the hill. (laughs) What's that for? The bit where he goes into the school. I find that. I mean, part of it is part of the weird, and I get, yeah, it's a horror trope because part of horror is frustration. Mm. You're supposed to, when you when you watch horror films, you're supposed to be frustrated not only of people not telling you information and being sly, but also frustrating because people do stupid, you know, the, 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 you know, the guy who never turns on the yeah. light and stuff like that. You get frustrated. But in this film, I genuinely was fuming of these sort of like coven of dickheads who just don't give anything away. Like the, the, that scene where he goes into the school and none of the pupils say anything. The teacher's completely uh, blank and then he checks the register yeah, yeah. and he finds their name there. Um, yeah, I find that scene. I mean, yeah, effective in one way, but really... I think you've got to give something to your audience. You can't just be like, it's a mystery and no one's telling them anything because then it's like, well... Yeah, yeah. I think I still remember that she just walks in and like she's asking what the teacher's asking the kids about what is like what is man? And then these just these two girls say in unison, phallic symbol, phallic symbol. Mm. And Nicolas Cage is like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well because technically, I guess in, in like a pagan colony, every lesson is just sex ed. There would be no other, there's no other like sort of reason to study anything else because it's all about fertility and like crops and all of that so so every lesson would just be like don't kids it's dt double dt this afternoon we'll be making knob-shaped candles out of beeswax maybe maybe, maybe that thing. kid in my secondary school who drew the penises in the uh, in like the, the index maybe <laughs> <laughs> All those kids, all those kids, like in my English one, who there'd be like a little library and it was a challenge, like at the end of the year, you have to deface every book on this library. So it was like, um, it obviously you drew knobs on it, but you changed it so it was like a Midsummer Night's Cream um, on, on all of the Shakespeare stuff. Uh, yeah, like the, those kids, uh, great mark, you know, top essay. Our second film that we're gonna yeah. have a deep dive into and select as one of our, our canon is Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, or Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2, uh, the sequel to a sort of Christmas themed festive slasher, which I have I have actually seen the original years ago, and it was it was a, a blow par imitation of an imitation type thing, but it was it was played straight and, and yeah. that was that. Maybe the odd campy moment, but uh, obviously when the team got round to making part two, they dialed that right up. Um, and it's it's pretty fruitful and fitting that I should mention the first one, because the sequel is basically the DVD commentary of the first film. <laughs> 
because so basically long story short the 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 origin story of, of the Silent Night Deadly Night uh, franchise is basically family uh, doing a Christmas road trip down to see relatives there's a Santa sort of stopped on on the road car broken down these kind people with a lot of Christian charity decide to, to help him out uh, they actually say in a really sort of like hokey welcome and wage you need a lift center and then he goes not quite pulls out magnum um aims it at the dad he eventually the dad starts reversing the car he said there's a big uh hoo-ha he shoots the car down and basically this sort of like um hustler street santa robs her shoots the dad and tries to rape the mum now that's awful obviously and there are two kids in the car one i'm guessing like three Billy, the mm. other a baby, uh, Ralph. Right. So the first film is Billy. Um, after the incident, he he sees Moses hiding it in the, he's hiding in the grass. He sees this traumatic thing, and eventually he gets chucked in uh, like an orphanage run by nuns. So that's the first film. Billy grows up to be a psychopathic serial killer. He's always triggered by Christmas, mm. so it doesn't help that his first full-time job is as a uh what like stock assistant in a christmas toy shop <laughs> I don't, they force him to dre- don't they force him to dress up as santa as well like part yeah, of the movie yeah. <laughs> and he's the most insulting there's there's this like really again it's uh, uh, I'll, I'll stress this is in the first film but it is also in the second yes, film it is. the uh so he's, he's he's doing one of those you know like shop shop santas uh in the like, like there's a little grotto in the uh Ira's toy store it's called and there's this like uh, to be fair this is obviously played for laughs knowingly played for laughs and there's a scene where it skips between the the store owner and like the manager and they're looking at Billy going, God, my guys, he's, he's, he's come on really well. He's, he's, he's a dab hand with the kids. He's a generous soul. And then it cuts, it's intercut with this, is Billy having a little girl on his lap. And he's just literally, it's like this sort of, the, the girl from The Exorcist, <laughs> just whispering into the girl's ear, like, you're worthless. You're not worth shit. You're not going to get anything you fucking want for Christmas. Just like <laughs> in, in this... You do a good into this, impersonation. <laughs> into this girl's ear. Um, and then cut back. Oh, what, what a kind guy. He's, he's really like, he's, he's a proper stand-up community soul. Um, so that's playful. Ass. Anyway, the Christmas party, Billy goes on a rampage. He kills this, obviously, every slasher-ish film. There's a fornicating couple um, sort of uh, trying to have it off in the back. And he goes and kills them with Christmas tree lights, obviously. Um, the other girl gets stabbed with... It she gets mounted, like we, were, like we were saying. Oh, no, no. That's, so, this, so, so the first section of the film, yeah, is, is basically a recap of, of uh, Billy's psycho. What I should say is that all of this is being retold mm. by Billy's brother, Ralph, in a, basically like a therapy session with a psychiatrist. It's some of the longest, slowest opening scenes I've ever ever seen. Like, it's, there's about three minutes where the psychiatrist is is struggling to 
put the tape. <laughs> yeah, like put the tape, tape on the yeah, reel. Yeah, yeah. So the, <laughs> they the show it as well. Three minutes of that. Um, it's needless to say, filler is what this film is all about. So the first half an hour is the first film, and then the last ten minutes are the credits, which also give credits to the actors who were in the first film. <laughs> so they basically had like a sixty-minute film and needed forty minutes of yeah. The, okay, one, so the of... one thing I want to just establish there is also yeah, yeah. I love the fact that in his flashback of the first movie, which is basically a condensed version of the first movie, of the first, yeah, that as a baby he recalls his parents <laughs> being murdered in, in yeah. visual detail. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely eidetic, right? It's perfect recall from this baby, right? And at one point, to be fair, the psychologist doing his job quite rightly at one point goes, but Ralph, this was a long, long time ago. How could you have remembered this? And Ralph, in all fairness, goes, because I was there. So, yeah, yeah okay. Can't really um, argue with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. He, he was there, so yeah. But so uh, while while we're on this segment of the film, it's worth pointing out that uh, the the dialogue between the psychiatrist and Ralph is is so corny. It's so overplayed. It's really overdramatic. They're really trying to stoke up like the tension between the two. You know, like Ralph doesn't want his head being examined by a shrink. And the shrink's just doing his job. At one point, he does that thing that yeah, sometimes yeah. you come across in action films, actually, where it'll be like a sequence of banter uh, that's going nowhere. And obviously, you know, one of the guys just wants to get down to business. So I think at one point, Ralph just goes, are we jerking each other off here? I think we need a compilation of all your like <laughs> quoting random sexual innuendos. Of, <laughs> yeah. I go nipple to nipple. No context, just a just a string of them. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, the, the the first half hour is is Billy's sequence of terrible crimes. So that's the aim of the first movie. He travels back to the orphanage and he's going to hack the uh, Eventually, he does get there, but it's it's one of those right at the last minute. Please come in. He's just about to slam the accent into the nun's head and the police come in shoot him so that's that's the first film and the first half of the sequel okay and then he changes the, they change, <laughs> yeah. they change the reel at that point don't they <laughs> and that takes absolutely ages again <laughs> so do you reckon the director's comedy of that was just like was just like okay um, anything that was a dialogue was up to be on slow motion um yeah. just we were running like 20 minutes behind every single take so yeah. we just had to build out that time i mean so he, at some point obviously the producers the directors they've got like 60 minutes they're going like okay what what can we possibly do to fill this can we put the put the original people in the credits yeah good okay <laughs> five minutes uh, we we could just play the first film. Oh no, that's 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 pushing it really. That's a bit egregious. Play half of it. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah, that's thirty minutes. Probably some guys in there saying, "Should we just play the dancing in the street video with Bowie and uh, Jagger in its entirety?" We we could. That's what four minutes. So yeah. So that's first film ends. And um, obviously the the next part of the film is 
we've moved from Billy's story to, to Ralph's story. Ralph eventually goes, you know, graduates from the nunnery thing or whatever they do, uh, goes out into the real world. Graduates! <laughs> well, he leaves the orphanage, uh, then he, he gets a job as a pot wash in a restaurant. And pretty much from the word go, uh, the killing starts. Uh, so he, he comes out for like a... Oh yeah, I should stress actually, one thing that I, I did point out was, which I thought was unnecessary especially for a, a low budget film is that he, gr he graduates from this non, non place um he gets adopted grows up and there's a few sequences probably all about 10 minutes where he's a teenager maybe about 16 17 now mm -hmm. they use a different actor for that <laughs> rather than use the ralph in in the present day of the film now say if he's only four or five years old, say if he's early 20s, he could have just used him. I, I don't get why in such a, a low budget, uh, sort of no mark film, yeah. why they'd bother trying to... It's like they were paranoid of getting slagged off in the way that Grease got <laughs> slagged off, you know, with like Travolta and Newton-John, clearly like 35 or whatever, playing teenagers. They were like, oh, we don't want to... We don't want that pitfall. Yeah. We don't That's want the, the critics picking up avoid. on that. <laughs> yeah. Trust me, trust me, Bill. If we did this, it's, <laughs> this film's a winner. Okay. Yeah. The whole film holds up, holds it together. Is the fact that we have a different actor for Ralph yeah. when he's fourteen. <laughs> okay. yeah. It's like this: our sense of realism is gone if we don't get a different guy. <laughs> Uh, You've just ruined the movie, Derek. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, and there's this. So, in in the time in the film where yeah, Ralph is about sixteen, seventeen. Again, the film wants to show that he's deep inside him. He's always got this instinct to kill and go on rampages. Uh, and he passes. He's walking in a big field. He sees a couple, uh, uh, another teenage couple, by the looks of it, uh, sort of having a bit of a a uh, an achy picnic. Uh, a bit of fun in the fields. <laughs> gonna... <Nike> <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. What, yeah, a bit of. Where have you ever used that sense? That, that never. That's that the first time I've said it. Uh, anyway, a bit of ham and pickle, slap and tickle for them. Then, and he sees this. There's, there's a sort of like again. This is where the Catholicism comes in. He's got like an aversion to sex, and what he does he, is he basically runs this guy over with his own car. And this, oh, this is the point where the, the Jeep, it, it's, it's a Jeep, is red, and then it cuts to the therapy session, and Ralph says, getting all this down, Doc? Too fast for you? And the Doc sort of, he's writing notes, and, and then literally Ralph's head appears next to the Doc. It, it, it's like within, his nose is like in his ear, and he just goes, red car. I love, I love also that like that the psychologist is having to write this down when he's obviously recording it. He's gone to pains to actually record. <laughs> yeah, he clearly, he's gone in thinking, do you know what? I am a klutz with this technology. I'm playing it safe. I'm doing shorthand and tape recorder. And guess what? The room's booked as well. Obviously, this is this is the tale of Ralph's maturity. He meets a nice girl. Uh, that seems to be going well, except 
when there's so they go on dates and they go out and whatever there's a fantastic date scene and again it's a great scene it's a great comedy scene but it's also a great indication of how the the team the production team just haven't got a grasp of their own material so it's funny yeah. but it's also really off key so what happens is they, they go on a date to the movies a very like lovey-dovey couple what film do you reckon they go and see it's a horror one isn't it? it's silent night deadly night one <laughs> i'm not joking i'm not joking because it comes up and, and at one point he goes like what's what's the what's the picture about and she goes oh apparently it's about a guy who uh dresses up at santa and kills people on christmas eve and he and ralph goes oh cool I can't believe I can't even believe Yeah, yeah. It's I, it shows the there's a there's a scene in the original where it shows right at the beginning where Billy like robs a uh like a petrol station, something like that. And that's the scene that you see in the film. In the no, theatre. I, I was gonna say because the thing that stuck out with me on the 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 um cinema scene was probably the one character in this movie that I liked and respected um, <laughs> was the guy in the back ripping into this movie. It was like, the he's us. He's actually there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's actually he's doing what we're like, doing. Recording equipment there, yeah. They're sort of playing casting couch at the back. Um, yeah. But yeah, so they're, they're being your classic uh, sort of... Uh, douchebags and they, they're like throwing popcorn they're getting bored they're shouting when's the movie gonna start um they see uh ralph and his and his bird having a little neck and they start doing like like smooch noises and stuff like that um just your classic sort of arseholes and ralph is trying to enjoy the film based on the life of his brother, which he's, I guess, had some sort of script writing role in anyway. So uh, anyway, I think he's, get, I think he's getting some royalties. From that. That's <laughs> yeah. why he's managed to go to the movie. So he, he's watching it and he's like, oh, you know, come on, this is my life story, here, guys. This is a bio. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, it's about a guy dressed up as Santa, and he's like, yeah, sounds cool. You know, who's what's really cool? The screenwriter in this was brilliant. You know, and like, what was his name? What was his name? Ra Ralph something. I was like, that's my name, isn't it? As well. <laughs> yeah. He's so he's buzzing off it, um, and naturally he doesn't want to be disturbed by the back row douchebags. So there's a brilliant scene again that the film does a lot of great cutting scenes. I've got to give it credit for that, where this guy and his mate, us essentially, <laughs> are sitting at the back, and he's he's turning to his mate. So the the camera sort of it's it's jostling from left to right. If you can imagine this listeners the camera is is jostling from left to right and it goes from the douchebag one to douchebag two and douchebag one saying like god what a lousy movie and it, could, and it moves to his friend and his friend's like mm -hmm, yeah so the rolling and he goes god when's this gonna finish and it cuts back to his friend and he goes oh yeah god he checks his watch goes back to douchebag one and he says something else critical about the film the camera slides to the left guess who's in his ear <laughs> Like pulling what he did with the psychiatrist yeah, yeah, earlier yes. on in the movie. Yeah, like, it's like he's an inch literally away from up the against them. Uh, and then, so you've got that camera cuts and it cuts to showing the girl who's a few rows, maybe about four or five rows in front. She's on it, popcorn watching the film. And just in the background, you can see this really like comical, 
sort of Keystone Cops style fight on the back row. You just see a pair of legs come up from the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her ex-boyfriend, this little bird that he's got with uh, her ex-boyfriend, rocks up. Uh, He's a weirdo. And he's sort of a bit of an agitator in the scene. But our final big set piece is is basically you come across him again. Ralph and his girlfriend having a nice little stroll uh, in midday, nice sun. They come across this, this... ex-boyfriend of this girl fixing his car he's got like the bonnet up and messing about mm-hmm. under the hood and he says something to i don't know whether he insults her or he implies that she wasn't a virgin before she met uh what's his name ralph and that that really gets on ralph's wick so he just puts like the spark plugs in this fella's mouth <laughs> ratchets the charge or the machine up, up to top and this guy's head just fries uh, and I think it, it looks, again, the gore in that isn't maybe as explicit as it could be. It, it the, the things go in and you see sparks fly out of this guy's mouth. Yeah, it looks like that scene in Home Alone too, when uh, when when like Marv is like tied up to the uh, the sink and it's electrocuting <laughs> and then it, it bursts and you've got his skeleton and he goes back to normal. It's it's yeah, it's it's cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> it's that level of yeah, yeah. Um, so he. Kills, kills the guy. The girlfriend looks on horrified, so he's got to shut her up. So she gets killed with something around her neck. Maybe that's the spark plugs as well. I don't know. He's, again, he, he, he improvises a lot with his weaponry. Um, and kills her. Police officer just happens to be walking past. So kills the police officer, grabs the police gun. So now he's got a weapon and he's he's basically just on, on some sort of like American shooter sprees, just walking up and down this leafy little suburb, shooting whoever he can. And whereupon we enter arguably the most famous scene of the entire film. It's something that's been cropped into to memes left, right and centre. There's a guy putting out his trash bin and Ralph sort of eyes up the, the guy the guy puts down the bin, clocks Ralph, he points the gun. He's got this insanely wide-eyed stare, like real psycho eyeballing going on. He goes, garbage day, and shoots him. And it's one of those like Sam Peckinpah, like slow-mo shoots, like the guy goes back. But there's something that bugs me about this because when I, I'm familiar with the garbage day clip before I ever watched the film, but interestingly enough, that is not my favourite bit of the spree at all, actually. Okay. What so, in, in my opinion, it gets better. So, there's a bit where he shoots the, the garbage guy and he's again marching down along the street. A car comes up to him. So, this was quite good. Still not my favourite bit, but a car is driving up. He just randomly is just pelting the car with bullets. It turns on its side. It's, it's a bit of like, it's almost like a crash car sequence. It turns on its side. Ralph doesn't flinch. The car is still driving. It's still coming towards him. It's like that roadhouse thing where like yeah. Swayze stabs the pedal. It's still, it's still coming towards him, not flinching. It gets, the car gets to like, within like a gnat's cock of his own head, right? <laughs> it's that like, such a slither, right? <laughs> And 
he does he just he just does this he just he just moves out he just sort of like and the car whizzes past you want to see this clip it's fact do you know what i'll do i'll, I'll, I'll do a, a little giffy thing on our our twitter account when i get around to it because th- this scene is just he just literally it just he sort of like moves the way you might move when you're passing someone on the staircase or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah he moves just just like the slight like like a little shoulder move that the head ever so and not even like a 45 degree turn it's just just a sort of like hmm, like a double take almost like oh was that was that hmm. uh, uh, no that's the car that? you just shot <laughs> uh, but yeah so yeah you should honestly it's a great it's, it's, it's a brilliant scene where he just, it's it's just a flinch it's like something like like a fly has just passed him or something, but it's it's not. It's it's a potentially, uh, you know, bone shattering car crash. My favourite bit is okay. He carries on, and the game the game's almost up now. So two police cars come, block his path. Police car, uh, policemen get out, load guns. They've got like shotguns. He's just got this this little pistol. <laughs> And he he aims it at them, uh, and they're all like they're immediately like aggressive police mode. Like I'm fair enough. There's a serial killer on the loose. Put it down. Uh, drop the gun. Um, really harsh police <laughs> commands. Ralph does this like weird like cackle. He cackles a lot throughout the film, but he he does it again like a really really campy ha 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 type thing starts to turn the gun on himself you've never seen a quicker uh, about face in in a police scene ever they literally go from put the gun down you shithead to god don't do it, it it's not worth it you're a beautiful don't soul do it <laughs> yeah you got so much to live for. you've got don't please it both of them in unison as well they're like yeah. a greek chorus they're going like, don't, you're a lovely man. You've got a- you've got animals to think about. You've got the soul of a wrongly imprisoned man's love letters. And the, the, like, got, got, it's, like, it's like that sensitivity training they had like, went a bit too extreme. <laughs> they just went yeah. on so <laughs> You're a drowning poet, don't. <laughs> so that is a roundup of some of our worst, best horror favourites. And last but not least, uh, the way we always like to box the show off is through trading our ideas for our Casting Couch Challenge. Uh, As you might remember, our film this week is Gut Punch 6, The Highway. I think Max has already got a strong direction. He seems to definitely got a few big names involved. Uh, And he's got a bit of a plot strand. So Max hit me with... Cut punch six. How's it? How's it different from the first five? So I mean, and that's how I kind of came up with this. So I was thinking, what is the first five gonna do? That gut punch six. Because by the sixth movie, like I think, I think this is like, if there's any movie that gets to six by the sixth movie, they're gonna have to try and do something pretty, yeah, elaborate or or different. Mm-hmm. So my imagine in my mind, I'm thinking the first four were from the eighties, early nineties period. Mm-hmm. And then five and six, almost not really a reboot, but like they're revisiting 
the franchise after a period of hiatus. So it's enjoyed its light day in in the first one to five. Well, first one, yeah, first one to once first one to four, um, and I think that the general premise, because I think all of these will follow a similar cookie cutter pa- platform, yeah, uh, layout, is that it's just going to be a uh, usually set in an abandoned uh, environment. It might be like in this one, it's going to be on a highway, it's like an abandoned highway, like an empty in Arizona somewhere. Okay. But you know, it could be anywhere. It could be at, on, like a like a, a train depot that's been abandoned, or, or you know, kind of end of the line, middle of nowhere type locations. Okay. Um, I would say that the uh, the main characters change from uh, each each uh, movie to movie. Maybe I, I'm thinking that um, from the uh, original ones we had like uh, Cindy Lauper back in the eighties. <laughs> um, so she. Cindy Lauper being the like the final girl or Cindy Lauper the final being girl the, yeah the villain okay okay so Cindy Lauper's in it and I think like she, she's gone from maybe the first one to three movies and, and it's it's basically following that premise of you know girl and her friends are in an abandoned mm. part of the US USA wanting and they're in, wanting to have fun for whatever reason usually going to some party in the arse end of nowhere and um, they are waylaid for whatever reason. Mm and there is someone hunting them so in the first one my mind is that they're you know they're on a train like cindy Lauper is going to be an aspiring musician she's going to play an aspiring musician in, in the first one trying to get make her way with her friends trying to get a train out to this like middle of the sticks town where she's got a gig uh the train kind of breaks down they're the only ones on it because it's literally in the middle of nowhere and that's when you have a, a killer uh, come on board. I still haven't fleshed out what the killer looks like, but I'm saying within the first three movies, the the killer looks the same and maybe is the same okay. person. Um, is he a masked like, villain? I would say like maybe not masked. I'm thinking it like the no, I know what you did last summer type thing, like maybe hood on his head, <laughs> hook for a hand type type yeah. thing. So not like wearing a screen mask or a, or a hockey mask or something, but just okay. like face shroud face shrouded type thing. Um, Anyway, like classic kind of horror that all her friends get killed and she's a surviving girl. Second one, she kind of comes back and, you know, the killer's still after her. And then it seems definitely certain that the killer is dead. There's no supernatural element in this horror movie. I think it's very much like uh, a kind of murderous killer person. Um, with numbers. Okay, so is he maybe the villain in this? Has he got like a, is he one of these... He's been wronged years ago and he just stalks the public transport system, hoping like that that's his mission in life now. He, he's, he's the public like, transport system. Well, yeah, because <laughs> when I was thinking of the highway, I was thinking like, I was thinking of having him almost like a, the villain would be like an urban legend type mm-hmm. figure, if you know what I mean. So he would be uh, maybe... Like Jeepers Creepers type thing. Yeah, or something like that. Or I was thinking maybe he was like a railway worker in the mm. back back in you know when America was building you know all of the railways across the country. Maybe he was wronged by his friends. Maybe he got tied down to the rail tracks in a prank. And, Ooh, the, and then it went. Back. And the first ever train in America like runs him over or something. So maybe haunts. Uh, like so, that's his mission to. I, I don't know. I was thinking maybe one of those urban legendy style backstories. So I think we can blend these two together. So I think Gut Punch 1 to 4 yeah. is like following Cindy Lauper. And she she only did it for the money in Gut Punch 4. Yeah. 
and um, she and her friends yeah. are like are like kind of getting killed. So the artistry, one one. gut punch one though. Yeah, I mean it was it was classic gut punch one. Everyone loved. Yeah. Um, and then she is, um, and so yeah, maybe in like the first one that you think the killer is dead, the killer comes back in the second one, and then it seems like he's definitely dead in the second one. In the third one. Um, it's a completely different one. It's like one of her friends and that's the twist is that you think the killer's just come back and it's mm. a replay, but actually it's one of her friends all the way along um, because he, she's now a successful musician. He's wanting her royalties or some Scooby-Doo logic there, I think can work out quite nicely. And then in, <laughs> and I've already named them. So like Gut Punch 3 is going to be called A Dead Stop. Um, and Gut Punch mm. 4 is going to be okay. called The Last Call. And that was intended to the be last The Last Call. Part. The last call, yeah. Okay, yeah. And that was intended to be the last gut punch when the killer from Gut Punch One comes back and he's actually okay. not dead. Yeah. So then they reboot it or they kind of rehash it with Gut Punch Five Vengeance. Okay, <laughs> yeah. it's no longer Cindy Lauper. Um, it's now going to be I'm going to say it's going to be Christina Aguilera. In okay, this. yeah. Okay, back when she was in her No Doubt days, you know that, that type <laughs> of period. Um, <laughs> And like so, she's she she's kind of like this this singer on the road. I think all the victim, all the last girls are singers. That's okay. Yeah, but have that as a theme for the franchise. Yeah, I like that. And I think we can tie it to that urban legend thing of like now enough time has passed that the events of Gut Punch One to Four is like urban le- urban myth, and actually they kind of don't believe what happened within Gut Punch One. One enough time has passed like a few years and like everyone's like well it never that's all that's just an urban myth type thing and then it turns out that this killer is uh, is actually what if maybe what if maybe in one of the uh, original trilo- uh, trilogy or whatever cindy lauper writes a song worldwide smash hit um i'm saying a sort of bubblegum pop wham style song mm-hmm. but about her slasher experiences maybe on the train maybe in the town and from that the town gets like a like credibility you know when people go to you know the way they go to like uh, Memphis uh, yeah yeah yeah. just because of Elvis maybe they visit this this like really outback hick town that no one would ever venture if if they didn't need to but because of Cindy Lauper's uh, 1992 smash smash it I nearly got I nearly got gutted uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, sort of really, just really radio friendly uh, trauma pop. A trauma pop, and, yeah. Yeah, trauma pop. And it gets a bit of credibility. Yeah, like I say, like, like the Memphis and Graceland type thing. And then this one year in the highway, Good Punch Six, people are traveling to it. That's brilliant. Like an annual little music like festival or something that gets it. I yeah, like that. Okay. So, yeah, so they're going to, they're going to Gut Punch, they're going to, they're going to the, the Graceland area. I'm going to say, so now yeah. now we're with the latest movie. So we've got this like framework. We still haven't hashed out who the killer is and stuff, but we can we can sort that out. Yeah. The boffins can do that. Um, and then we can, but like Gut Punch 6, it's Britney Spears and her mate Rob Schneider, who I'm going to say is like, just just like her, her comedic, like lighthearted uh, comic relief in the movie. Um, okay. I've also got Uncle Phil from, um, from uh, um, the Fresh Prince Bel-Air. He's also going to be in it. <laughs> oh God, that's a good. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got to play uh, authority figures. He has that really. He's the town sheriff. Deep... He's the town sheriff. Oh yeah. He's got okay, fat yeah, on the yeah, fact yeah, that nothing that. now happens there because all the horrors of like the mid eighties is over, and like now they're like 
now she's it's a bit touristy and a bit tame. yeah it's a bit tame he has okay. to just deal with drunk drunk kids think who, who, yes. are, who are yeah, pretending yeah. to be this killer so that's also the weird oh. one now is because like it's such a weird situation um so maybe there's yeah okay maybe there's copycat people maybe the horror film is going to be one of those is it a copycat fanboy or is it the original i mean that gut that's brilliant railway worker from the civil war <laughs> Railway worker from the Civil War. That's that's brilliant. So there is a supernatural element in this now. Okay, so there's a railway worker in the Civil War <laughs> that is coming back. Um, I'm going to say that in Gut Punch, um, in Gut Punch Four, the last call, they mm. find some random MacGuffin manuscript that allows them to banish the uh, old old Jimmy, the uh, old Jimmy, the uh, the railway worker um, to hell or something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and I'm, I'm, okay, I'm taking yeah, that very well much unashamedly from what um, Friday the 13th did, where they said, like, final, the final chapter, and then the next one was, like, a new beginning. So that's what I'm trying to pull from. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so then we've got Vengeance, which had Ag uh, Christina Aguilera in it, you know, similar type of setup, like, reinvigorated the franchise, shall we say. But Christina mm. didn't want to do that anymore. She kind of didn't want to speak anymore, so to speak. Um, and then... You've got Britney Spears with Avril Lavigne and Rob Schneider in this movie. Rob Schneider, yeah. Um, with Uncle, Uncle, Uncle Phil, Phil is the sheriff. The sheriff of the town. Is he a tragic sheriff? Is he one of those who's like, he does well by his town. He's a sort of solid patri uh, uh, patriotic guy. But does he die? Well, I'm going to throw this out. Maybe he's the killer. Oh. <laughs> oh. I didn't see that coming. And neither will the audience. And neither will. So yes, he's the killer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. So I reckon, yeah, he's I, like gonna, I reckon he That's fakes really his good. own death in it. I reckon he'll fake his own death in it so that it throws us off the yeah, set Yeah, yeah, well. at some point. But I'm also going to say that there's going to be flashbacks and, like, they'll find old documentation oh, of, okay. of Jimmy O'Toole, the, the, the railway killer of, of the... Of the 17 the, war, the yes. 18, 18, 1863 um jimmy o'toole um and so what happens is what they find is that the, the railway the actor who plays the railway um killer even up until this point in the gut punch franchise you've never seen um jimmy o'toole prior to him being this supernatural killer so now you get like some visual of it, a bit like what they did with like the Candyman 3, where it's like shows the flashback of like who the Candyman was. So in this one, you've got okay. Jimmy O'Toole was played by Steve Buscemi. Um, 90s Buscemi as well, not, he was still doing a lot of indie work. And, and um, I kind of feel that Gut Punch 6 is only going to be like, that's not the last one in the franchise. I feel they're going to definitely do three more. So this needs to have something that tips it over the edge for sequel worthiness. So let's put some race in there, like a racial element that he fell in love with, with like a black woman. And then that's why he was tied to the railroad tracks and got run over. Okay. And um, Uncle Phil is the descendant <laughs> of Steve Buscemi. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's carrying on uh, he's carrying on the legacy. Uh, he's obviously not a fan that the the Cindy Lauper. He sort of blames them because they're coming. They're treating it like a uh, like a yeah like like a sort of tourist spot, a park yeah. village type thing, which it isn't. He wants he wants like the, the true story to be known. What's his murder weapon? This is the thing. What's the killer's murder weapon? Regardless of whether it's Steve Buscemi's ghost or uh, Uncle Phil, a girder. <laughs> 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 
Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be, now that we've got our backstory in place, it has to be railway themed. What about like a, a train whistle? Oh, yeah. Train whistle. Maybe, maybe that's like his creepy noise. You know, the way sometimes yeah. horror films like give it away, sometimes it might be some... And there's going to be a great, there's going to be a great scene where like uh, Britney Spears is running away or like, I'm like hearing the train whistle and she thinks, oh my God, he's so close and I'm like terrified. Yeah. And she's like, kind of gets like, I don't know, like a, a baseball bat or something ready to like attack because she's like cornered. She like goes out and like at first no one's there. The whistle's still going. She looks down. Rob Schneider's had the whistle shoved down his throat and that's his dying breath, like blowing the whistle oh, out. Oh, that is, God, that's good. <laughs> God, that's good. That's, so Rob Schneider yeah. dies, we know this. Oh Schneider. yeah, the, the light-hearted doofus always dies. But yeah, yeah I love that. I mean, yeah, Spears is ready to go, you know, the sort of final girl, uh, woman power type thing. She's ready to go and yeah, it's, it's a best mate who's he's choking on the whistle. That is great. Uh, yeah. So what about, what about Avril Lavigne? What's Avril Lavigne going to be up to? Avril Lavigne, okay, so if, if, if Spears is, is the final girl, Maybe, maybe Avril is sort of like the moody, gothy, smart one. She mm. also dies. She also dies. But I think she might do something like sacrificial in this movie. Like yeah, she'll phone okay. up, she'll phone up like her dad, who's like somehow conveniently like a member of SWAT or something. Yeah. And then they'll yeah. get like they'll get him to, to come in. Her dad, who is playing National by... Rail. <laughs> he runs National Rail. <laughs> it's just like Don't yeah, worry, I'll that... get a train to you in the hour. <laughs> just need to rearrange the lines and the timetables. And that's how and that's how they managed to defeat uh, the spirits of uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh, is that there's just, got to be a final just... scene where uh, Uncle oh, God, Uncle Phil is chasing. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Levine or, or Spears phones the dad who owns you know like Network Rail or whatever. There's got to be a scene <laughs> where he sends a train to save them. Maybe uh, yeah, something like that. Change of the tracks. There's a big bureaucratic. Nightmare. He gets fired it's for an it. absolute nightmare. Um, causes, you know, real uproar. Commuters across America are furious. Uh, but he sends a train there. Maybe there's a climactic scene where they go to, like, the original the original scene of the crime, where Buscemi was tied down oh, yeah. for, for his, uh, you know, interracial... But there's now going to be, like, a commemorative section of it, I reckon. Yeah, like, yeah, this yeah. This is where Steve Buscemi was run over. The old tracks are still in place, though. I think that's mm -hmm. key to what, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. There may be... There's a chase scene, big epic chase scene, you know, the classic uh, horror movie thing where, the, like, the heroine falls over all the time. Yeah. Uh, so she, she's sort of, sort of going over, like, a sack of shit every few minutes. She finally, she's crawling towards it. Um, Uncle Phil's after her with the, the whistle. And the seal girder. Or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he has one of those ticket counting machines every time he kills someone. <laughs> so the death I count was is, is recorded on one of those like little... <laughs> I was going to say... I was going to say, you also had one of those ticket stamps, those like, <laughs> whole bunch. 
Yeah. That's what he does. That's that's what he does to Avril Lavigne. He like he stamps her tongue and pulls it out. That's oh yeah. Seventeenth yeah. of February. Just date stamp. so like i say so he's running after them he's got his kill count thing so he's all maybe that occasionally the camera can like flick to that so it's like Mm -hmm. you know he's on maybe it tallies them up throughout that maybe it it tallies them up through the whole franchise so he's on like 136 or whatever and he's got he he wants to kill this final girl and they're running they're having a chase through the woods to the original uh, scene of the crime next minute the national rail train that the dad has organised runs him over so there's a big chase he doesn't see the the headlights for other reason don't just ignore that Um, and yeah the the train the the modern train if you like uh, it hits him down so all symbolism I like that exactly I'm going to say what about he what about he does notice the lights but he thinks it's like some kind of ghostly spirit of his great great grandfather and so and so he kind of holds his hands up, like waiting for it to come for him, and then he gets yeah. Yeah. smashed with it. And he gets so he's killed by the train that the yeah, the dad organizes, and then um, maybe yeah, it finishes up. She she gets on. She just gets on the train, and and that's how she just gets on. Yeah, yeah. So she she gets on the train, and it's one of those things. Sometimes that you get in horror films where like the the person's been through all of this shit and all of this trauma and they're, they're completely bruised and bloodied, but they'll walk into like a local cafe, you know, at the end, so they'll finally get yeah. to safety and they'll walk into a cafe and you've got all the normal locals, normal people, just sort of like heads turn out and be like, what happened to you? Sort of thing. <laughs> uh, where, where have you come from? And then she, so she, she, maybe that's the final shot. She's just sort of walking towards a seat um probably you know does she have a ticket i mean that's the that's the well oh yeah good point um well she's the daughter well she's she's the the friend of the daughter who runs national rail i think national rail yeah um i think she'll just get on she's just gonna get on yeah so she gets on the final shot of her is just like slumped in a seat and obviously Mm. you've got a few like busy bodies looking around wondering who she is what's happened um maybe the conductor comes, and it's Steve Buscemi. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that is that is yeah. And he goes like, "Tickets, please." And she looks up, and it's Steve Buscemi. That is that is brilliant. So, thanks for listening to this episode on horror. We hope you've uh, taken a few key tropes away to what to uh, look out for when you're next looking at ghoulish films as hacky and trashy as they may be. Next time, we're shifting over to superheroes, and you'll be in the safe co-hosting hands of my mate Max. And I think just as horror was a bit of a soft spot for me, I have a very strong suspicion that superheroes is going to be a soft spot for Max. Is that right? Yeah, um, I I think that was... Uh, something I've always loved uh, superhero movies um, as uh, for my sins I love I love the Batman uh, versus Superman movie even though that is roundly like trounced by everyone who has listened to it and seen it um, but I, I absolutely love superhero movies I, I kind of grew up wanting to be Batman I could still kind of do um, and uh, and I think yeah I, I'm looking forward to sharing some of the 
more cringe-inducing movies uh, that uh, that the genre has produced. Excellent stuff. So before we split, uh, don't forget to just keep on listening. Bear with us. This gets tweaked. It's a passion project, as always. Uh, getting pulled and, and prodded as we go. So we're improving all the time, we think, hopefully. Um, but if you found this enjoyable, uh, scrap that, listenable even, have a look on our disaster film episodes. Uh, we've got action coming out soon. This has been horror. We're moving on all the time. Uh, we're now on stuff like Castbox, Spotify. We've got a Twitter account that's buzzing with all sorts of memes and gifs and stuff like that based on the films we review. And yeah, we just hope that we're being pliable hosts and keep listening. Thank you.